Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Uh, There's a lot of things running through my head today, and they are because there's so much I want to teach you. And I worry whether or not you can grasp it. And that's a human thing because God says, you don't worry about that. You, you teach what I have and let me worry about whether they get it or not. What a deal, huh? It takes responsibility right off me. I'll tell you what I do worry about, though, that people are ready to receive sometimes. And so I, I think every pastor out there probably says, gosh, how do I do this? Because... There's always this emphasis on whether or not people can get it, whether they want to get it, whether they will get it. And a lot of times it's not what you say, it's how you present it. Does that make sense? And I think to myself, it shouldn't matter how it's presented. Because if we're going to trust God for the content, we ought to trust Him for the delivery as well. And you know what? We're a fickle people. Have you noticed that? We, we want things a certain way. And, and if you don't say it in, in, a, in a way that's pleasing to us, well, we're going to get defensive and shut it out. Well, I have news for you. In the Word of God, it's not always presented in a sweet way. All right? So what do you do with that? Do you just discount those things? Do you skip over them and move to something that's more pleasing to your ears and your eyes? Probably we do, because that's what we do in life. And Jude is a difficult book because... He puts it on the line, and yet he tells us things that there's no way he would know other than the Holy Spirit told him. And I preface that by saying to you that it's one of the last books written in the Bible. It doesn't matter where it comes chronologically in the Bible. What it means is that all the letters of Paul were already written, all the letters of Peter, the epistles were written, all the things of John outside of the Revelation were written. Okay? So you have to understand that not everything comes in the way it's mannered in the Bible. In fact, Revelation wasn't the last word written. Okay? Actually, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were last written. Most people don't know that, but they were. So all the works are written other than the works of John, which are the Revelation and the three epistles. Other than that, everything has written by this time. You understand? Who, Who follows me so far? Good. Understand that. And as we look at this mini-series on contending for the faith, which is basically what it is, this message is number two in this series, but it's entitled with the series title, Contending for the Faith. But it's contending earnestly for the faith, because that's what he says. Now I'm going to break it down for you in little tidbits and show you some things that probably you didn't grasp before, and we have to go back to the original Greek to understand the reason for it and what it means. Okay, But turn with me into Jude. Uh, chapter 1, which is only one chapter anyway, 
some people just call it, drop the one, just call it Jude 3 and 4 because that's what it is. And I'm using the New American Standard today because it is a direct translation. And if we use the paraphrased version, we don't get the full depth, I think, of what is really there. And so Jude 4, uh, listen carefully to what he says. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. In other words, I, I, I was going to write this, I meant to write this, I intended to write this, but clearly something happened where the Holy Spirit said, no, I need you to write this. Now that's happened to me more than once. Where I had something in my mind that I was going to present or I was going to teach, and the Holy Spirit, even sometimes that very day, says, no, trash that message that you worked on for several weeks, I'm gonna, I want to do this. And brother, you know at that point that you're in deep doo-doo because it's got to be all on him because you, you had, didn't have time to prepare for it. And so you have to rely on the Holy Spirit completely to provide what you think or what you, you think the people ought to have, and yet you realize that what you think they ought to have is not what he wants them to have. And so you got to say, okay, God, it's on you. Take over. And it's that moment. God's not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. Okay? And so that's exactly what's happened to Jude here. And he doesn't write a lot, so I wonder what he would have written instead. I wonder what he really wanted to say. Now, we know part of it. He wants to talk about our common salvation. But good night, everybody before him already wrote that. So this is something that we ought to take notice of here. you you got to say, whoa. So this ought to be important to us, amen? If he wanted to write this, the Holy Spirit said, no, write this, uh, I'm, I ought to perk up a little bit with my ears. And I ought to take notice of what's being said. And then he says this in verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, oh my. As I think about that, what in the world were they doing? Who were they? What was happening? And you should be too. But as we focus on the purpose of this epistle, let's review. Now, you remember that his original desire, again, was to write about our common salvation that was shared in Christ, but the Holy Spirit changed his mind and directed something different. And verse 4 tells us why. Notice he says, ungodly persons have crept in. Non-Christian, ungodly people have crept in. Now, if they're in, they're claiming to be Christians. They're in the church. They're coming to service. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're singing. They're teaching. They're listening. They're serving. They're involved in the church. But they're ungodly. And that tells us that just because people attend church doesn't make them godly. It didn't then, and it doesn't now. And again, we get defensive about that because everybody goes to church, everybody that claims to be a Christian, well, who are we to judge them? <laughs> well, he does. The Holy Spirit does. And he's telling us about it, which means we have to do. But we, we've been taught our whole lives not to do that. So what do you want us to do? Throw out what the Bible's saying? We have to throw out the whole book here. We got to throw Jude out completely saying, well, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't change your mind. You just wanted to say it. Well, here's my question then. If God didn't want this epistle here, would it be there? Okay, so what are we saying? 
What we're saying is what we've been teaching, what we've been taught is wrong. Let that sink in for a minute. What we've been taught is wrong. We're supposed to judge the ungodliness of people. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. You're supposed to know what a godly person looks like, what acts like, what they do. And when it deviates from the Scripture, are they godly? No. And shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we be close enough to God that we know what a godly person looks like? Yeah. You see, you hesitate. Because some of you aren't convinced. And again, it's hard to get past what you've always been taught. It's, it's hard to get past traditional things in the church. Be meek and mild. Don't make waves. Don't, don't you know. He's not, he's not talking about that here. He says contend earnestly for the faith. Fight for it. Isn't that what he's saying? If you're not convinced yet, you will be. So I'm going to break it down for you. And I have to tell you, the fact that he's telling you this shouldn't be what unnerves you. What unnerves you ought to be the ungodly people crept into the church. That's what should unnerve us, isn't it? He says that they've done it unnoticed. Unnoticed. Now, it's one thing to see your trouble coming. And it's quite another when it's already among you. And you never saw it. You never noticed it. Because that's what he said. But it's more than that even. The fact that it could happen when they were warned over and over and over again. Get this, by Jesus himself, by Peter several times, and by Paul, I can't even count how many times. Over and over and over again, they were warned. The church was about ungodly people creeping in among them. Those who were outside of the Word of God, believing, teaching, and doing things that were contrary to the Word of God. Warned over and over and over again. If they were warned, so were we. Yeah? Weren't we warned? Haven't we been warned? Are we not still being warned? You know what else it tells us? They weren't looking for it. They weren't prepared. They snuck in unnoticed, which means their defenses weren't up. They were down. Their defenses were down. Anybody like Star Trek? Captain Kirk never goes into battle without putting his shields up, and he implores Scotty to get him up. If not, what happens? It's all over. You and I seem to want to go to war with no shields. Or we seem to want to just exist in the church and let people think whatever they want about their faith in Christianity. That's what we seem to want to do. Now, I, I say we seem to want to do, even though I know it's more than that. But I don't want to offend anybody today and get your, def your defenses up. Nevertheless, we're in battle with no defenses. And we're worried about hurting people's feelings more than getting them the truth. And that's a fact. 
Now, it could mean that it wasn't important to him, just like it might not be important to us today to keep our defenses up, our shields up. And isn't Satan clever? Isn't Satan clever? And that's about all he's going to get from me today. He's clever. Stupid, but clever. Satan was stupid. He was self-centered. He was self-righteous. He was self-opinionated. You're going to hear those words again today. That's what he was, though. And as I begin to think more about this, I wondered something that perhaps you are also wondering, could this happen to me? Is it happening now? Has it already happened? And to be honest, I think it's much easier for it to happen today than it was in Jude's time. And the reason is that we are further removed from the newness of these messages, these warnings, than they were. In fact, there's much more of a belief system out there today that the Bible is false than there was in Jude's time. For when I get on Yahoo or MSN or any of these other, you know, tabloid on, tabloids on, online, and particularly the HuffPost, but you know what I think about that, and these people have these opinions, these, these ridiculous opinions, and they start bashing the Word of God, saying how outdated it is, how irrelevant it is, how wrong it is. I think, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. It makes me livid because of the ignorance of people. Because when they say that, they're attacking my faith. Now, they're going to tell you they're not attacking you, but they are. They're saying that you're ignorant, that you're irrelevant, and that you're stupid. And that any faith that you have in Jesus Christ is ridiculous, and there's something wrong with you up here. Because you can't think lucidly like they can. That's what they're saying. Now, they're going to tell you, no, brother, I'm not saying that. Yeah, you are. That's exactly what you're saying. You're saying that you're wiser than I am, that you know more about life than I do, and that I'm chasing a fairy tale. Let me tell you something, people. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about relevancy there. There are millions of people in the United States that think that professional wrestling is real. Let's talk about that for a minute. Right? And they're all registered to vote. Scares us not out of me. Uh, Steve Warner and I thought this up about eight, ten years ago. We could fix the world in ten minutes. I ain't kidding you. Now listen. As we talked about in the presentation I had last Sunday night, okay? Comic book characters are coming back in full force. More, more than ever before in the history of mankind. And again, are these things real? No, they're not. Sorry, kids, they're not. And some of you adults that really think they are, <laughs> make an appointment. I had a girl tell me not too, you know, several years ago that she was a vampire. Even had her, a teenager, an older teenager. Her parents even brought her here because they were scared to death because she thought she was a vampire because she was all caught up in this twilight garbage. Okay? And she, and she would adamantly, and I said, now, you really don't believe, yeah, I, I'm a vampire. I said, okay. I said, come outside. We went outside right here on this corner. And I said, I looked up at the church because I figured this wasn't high enough. I said, jump up on her for me. Wow. Jump up on her. I said, yeah. On the roof. Well, I can't do that. Then you ain't a vampire. Come on! Really? I know what vampirism was. I know where it came from. I know, what it, what, I know where it came, came from. Vlad the Impaler. I know all about it. This history. But it isn't what you see on Dracula. Guys, grow up! They're going to attack my faith? 
But they're going to believe that stuff? Who's the lucid one? Now I ask you the question. When they tell me that the Bible is relevant, I say, really? Because it sure was relevant to my life because I know how I've changed. I'm delighted with the changes because I was headed for destruction. Anybody in here agree with me here? This is what we're talking about here. This is why Jude says you have to contend for the faith and do it earnestly because there's a bunch of people out there that don't know what they're talking about. Either you have an experience with the Holy Spirit or you don't. And if you don't, I can understand why you would think that. But if you do, then you know what it's done. And I've told you again and again, when people ask me, what's my Christ going to do for them? What do I tell them? I don't know. But let me tell you what he did for me. Because I know what he did. Do you know what he did? It's a question. And if you don't, maybe you won't contend for the faith. But if you do, you'd better. You'd better. I can't tell you how many of you text me or call me during the week where you work in places where Matt especially and Billy and some of you guys where they're fighting with these people that attack their faith all the time. Yeah, Matt? Yes or no? And Billy's not here this morning. You're working, but I think, right? But, yeah. Okay? But the fact of the matter is that it means that Christianity and Christians today ought to be even more on guard and ready than the early Christians were. Which in turn means that we must be more diligent to contend earnestly for the faith because it is much more relevant now than it was even then. You want to talk about relevancy? Let's talk about that. I love to turn it on them. I love it because let's talk about relevancy then. Sometimes I think we are so worried about their opinions and what they think is relevant that they, we refuse to tell them what's relevant to us and why. And now that I've turned that word relevant into a positive for godliness rather than a negative toward it, let's, let's look at why we ought to be appreciative of the need to contend for the faith. But we, if we're not appreciative of the faith, we'll never contend for it. If you don't appreciate what it is and what it did for you and what it can do for others that don't have it, you will never contend for it. That's a fact. Because we're a people, show me what it can do. Show me what is, what's, what's the benefit of the investment. What's the benefit of the change? Because if we don't see the need, then we won't care how to do it. Because it won't be necessary. It won't be relevant. We just won't do it. And that's how the faith has become irrelevant. That's how the faith, to some, has become irrelevant. But since Judas warning us, and he was the last one to do so, we ought to take notice of the urgency. We ought to take notice of what he's saying. And remember this one thing. This is not a suggestion. I think we read the Word of God today and take it as a suggestion. I know that because I watch other Christians who claim it is. Because they'll read it and go do something else. Act a certain way. Believe something else. When it's right there. Now, are there black and white areas? Yes. Are there some gray areas? Yeah. There are some I realize where we're not maybe going to agree or not sure what it means, and it could mean simple things. I get that, but not very many. But why is it that we choose to focus on those rather than the ones that we all agree on? It's a fair question. 
And here's the thing, friends. If we're really a Christian, then we cannot ignore the Word of God, nor can we ignore its commands, nor can we ignore its, its warnings. So let's get busy. Ready to go? Why do we need to contend earnestly for the faith? Because people will deny the authenticity and or the relevancy of God's Word. That's why. This isn't my opinion. I know that sometimes you'll listen to a pastor and you'll think, well, that's, that's his opinion. This one's not. Because you know my motto. I would rather teach you what I can prove than give you my opinion about it. Now, I've given my opinion on a rare occasion, and I'll tell you it's my opinion. But here, I can prove this. People will deny the authenticity and or the relevancy of God's Word. Now, notice the reason for believing this statement. Jude says, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Friends, this is a finality. It's when you as a parent are at the end of your rope and you say, that's the last time. I'm not going to tell you again. But you know what? You know how many times we go in and tell them again? I found myself doing it with my grandchildren because I don't want to be the bad guy. Yeah? Come on, grandparents, tell me it and so. All right? Remember the lady at Rural King I told you about in Dairy Queen? How many remember that story? Uh-huh. She told those kids, and they were horrific. I don't know how many times. Now, if you don't stop that, Johnny, we're not going to Dairy Queen. And I knew better than that. I knew, I knew they're darn well. Johnny knew darn well they were going to Dairy Queen. But see, even though we'll do that, God doesn't. God does not do that. He says through Jude, once and for all, the faith was handed down. That's a finality. Let me explain. We are forever wanting to adjust certain patterns of life based on the times, I might add. Culture typically determines what is normal, what's necessary, and what's important, and we have always adjusted accordingly. Every day when I get dressed, I look in my closet and I see a series of different kind of clothes uh, hanging there or in my drawers or whatever. And I, and I know what you think of me. I know what you think of each other. You know how I know it? Because we all look at each other and determine whether that person is dressed appropriately or relevant or not. Now, I'm going to tell you, probably here's what I'm not going to do. You're not going to see me come in here in a leisure, leisure suit with the white stitching, although it'll probably be popular pretty soon again. But you're not going to see me doing that with the, you know, with the collar outside of the collar on the coat and the, you know, the open you know, and the chain. I, I'm not going to do that. I never did it then. I'm not going to do it now. Well, I, I never liked it. Now, if I liked it, I would do it because I'm sure I could buy it somewhere. But I'll tell you that in my, in my closet and uh, in uh, uh, my drawers, I have several pairs of jeans, and a lot of them say relaxed fit. Do you know? I don't, see, I don't know why you're complaining, Burn. You know why they're there? Because just a few years ago, my wife said, now listen, you can't wear tight jeans. You've got to wear relaxed fit because that's what everybody wears. Well, it didn't take very long to change the tight jeans. And now... If you wear relaxed fit jeans, oh, you're, a, you're, you're the square, and everybody else is in the know. Well, I got news for you, and I got a question, too. What in the world is going on when we wear pants that are up to here, and we show no socks? We're wearing short pants and no socks in our shoes. That is severe, strange. 
It, it, it's a, that's a behavior of disorder. Make an appointment with somebody. I don't know if I can help you. I'm serious, guys. This is, this is weird. You don't wear pants this high, and you don't roll them up if they're too long, for goodness sake. They're meant to be a certain length for a reason. I'm not getting cold ankles. I don't know about you. I'll wear flip-flops if I want to do that, whatever. I can't say thongs. I'll get in trouble. Man. I remember you wouldn't dream of wearing pants are too short. People say, where's the flood? When's the flood? <laughs> no, nah, you can say, oh, you're just old and irrelevant. That's what I'm talking about. Because, friends, I'm telling you, we used to wear pants like that, and then you said, don't do it, and then we swore we're long pants, and now you said, don't do it. I'm thinking, which is it? Make up your minds. And I put on a, a pair of, of uh, Adidas tennis shoes yesterday. They're white with three red stripes on them, and they're all the rage now. The only thing is, mine are 20 years old. And they're in great shape, too, because I had to take them off for about 15 years because they were out of style. But they're right back again. And I didn't spend a dime. I'm serious here. Everybody, everybody wants those shoes now. My granddaughter even told me, I got shoes just like that. I know you do, because they're back. All I had to do is hang on to for 15 years. Guess what? I'm back. And don't get me started on ties. I've gone to wide, to skinny, to wide, to skinny, to wide, and I keep them up because they're going to come back. Except for now they've threw me a curveball because now we don't wear them at all. But they'll be back, I'm telling you right now. You see, friends, it doesn't matter what the majority thinks. It's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. Remember that story? I get the charge out of that because the emperor thought he looked great because he had no clothes on. Only one little kid said, but he ain't got any clothes on at all. But everybody else is going, oh, you look great. That's how clever Satan is. That's how clever he is. We live in a society that changes like the wind. It depends on what some designer thinks. We're taking relevancy about life from clothing designers, musicians, Hollywood, professional athletes. Really? I'm telling you. Yeah, we can even say that. In college professors. I'm serious, friends. I'm, listen to me. It, the Word of God has given us the owner's manual for life. What is wrong with us? I'll tell you what it is. We're listening to everybody but him. That's the problem. He says this expression, once for all, means unchangeable, regardless of what society thinks or does. In other words, we cannot change the basis, the reason, nor the practice of our faith no matter what. And Jude gives us this warning. Because the Holy Spirit knows that Christianity is yet just another thing that society will try and has tried to adjust. Based on what? Based on what? A fad. Somebody's popularity or belief system. Because everybody wants it to be relevant to modern thinking. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's wickedly dangerous. 
The gospel of Christ cannot be changed, has never been changed, will never be changed, and the Bible says that God himself is unchangeable. Unchangeable. And so we're just going to have to conform to him. Oh, there's a thought. There's an idea. And everybody knows that today we won't conform to anything. We're being taught that. In fact, it's the right, it's the in, the right in thing to do is not conform. <laughs> Wait till you grow up and find out you better or you go in jail. Because hmm? there's people that didn't conform and go where, where they at. They're in prison for life. Friends, there are laws, and you better follow them. And God has some too, and you better follow them. Anybody? You see, we're defiant, we're self-centered, we're self-reliant, we're self-important, and most definitely self-righteous. Now, you heard those words before, just a few minutes ago. Who else was those things? Lucifer was, which is why he became Satan. Huh? See a pattern yet? Everything in life must conform to what we want and what makes us comfortable and definitely to what we want to believe. In other words, what suits us. And when the Word of God doesn't, which is going to be often these days, well, you tell me what happens. The fact is, people will indeed deny its authenticity because they fail to see its relevancy. And when we begin to question if the Word of God is relevant, we've already begun this terrible process of becoming a godless society. Did you hear that? When we begin to question the authenticity and the relevancy of the Word of God, we've begun the process of the declination into a godless society. Europe's already done it. They're gone. We're the only nation that hasn't yet. We're working on it, though. We're working on it. It won't be long. You hear those words again, too. Now, here's the deal, friends. Satan knows it's going to take longer for this to happen if he only makes it happen outside of the church. Did you hear me? He knows it'll take longer if he only works on it on the outside of the church. So what has he done? He brought heresy into the church. You heard me. He's brought this watered down or flat out wrong belief system into the church. Why? Well, it's obvious, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because if you can take the word of God, the commands of God, and the truth of God and make them irrelevant within the church, within the church, then it will rapidly destroy the effectiveness of the faith that Jude is talking about. Guess what? It's happening now. Christians are divided on a variety of subjects and issues that, quite honestly, if we take the Word of God at its core truth, are absolutes. We're divided on the absolutes of the Word of God. How does that happen? Because our own opinion is more important than what God says. That's why. I'm serious, friends. If we don't contend now earnestly for the faith, it won't be long. It will not be long. In fact, it's moving rapidly. I've seen it in the last 20 years. I've watched it. Going like this. Bang, bang, bang. And the devil's like, yeah, now we got it going. Now it's going. 
But there's something else that Jude tells us. Not only will people deny the authenticity or the relevancy of the Word of God, they're going to take it a step further. They're going to pervert the doctrine of grace in the half. This is all the devil doing it. I'm telling you right now. This is all the devil working. This is all Satan working, okay? I want to deny and pervert the doctrine of grace. Why? Well, let's, let's talk about what perversion is first, because I think you have a wrong idea about it. Pervert isn't a word we typically use for what happens to the doctrine of grace, but it's also the best word for it. Let me tell you why. It describes the complete depth of what has happened in modern Christianity. Synonymous words include distort, warp, corrupt, subvert, twist, bend, abuse, deflect, misapply, misuse, misrepresent, misinterpret, misconstrue, and falsify. And you could really add a simple word to it, compromise. If nothing else, we've certainly done that, would you agree? Even if you don't agree that we've done these other things, you know, subvert, corrupt, twist, warp, deflect, misapply, misuse, uh, at least you will admit that we have compromised the Word of God. Today, just as there were in Jude's time, there were people who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. The Greek word here that is used is aselgeia. Aselgeia. A-S-E-L-G-E-I-A. Aselgeia. Can you say it? Aselgeia. It is translated either licentiousness or lewdness. And in this form, it always refers to some sort of sexual deviancy or vulgarity. You understand? You see, you're not going to get the depth of what Jude's saying if you don't understand the word usage here. It's very important. Otherwise, you'll blow past it and not get it. So we can't misinterpret what Jude is actually trying to say to us. Listen to the definitions of licentiousness and lewdness. Lacking legal or moral restraints, especially in disregarding sexual restraint. Obscene or vulgar sexual behavior. That's what the words mean. And you're like, what does sexuality have to do with what he's talking about? I'm getting there. Because he used this word specifically. There are others he could have used. He didn't use those. Which means the Holy Spirit said, use this word. Okay? So, in the early church, people wanted to continue in their practices of sexual sin and a deviant belief system, so their doctrine of grace gave them an excuse to continue it. Do you understand that? They wanted to do these things, so the doctrine of grace allowed them an excuse to continue in it while claiming to be a Christian. It gave them an excuse to sin. According to Jude, so much so that they engaged in that which was openly shameful and disobedient, which is why Jude was compelled to change his original letter to one of warning. You understand? He changed his nicety letter into one of warning. The Holy Spirit obviously directed him to do it, and do we know why? Do we know what was happening during this time? Well, we do know. We know historically what was happening. I can tell you all about it. Why? Because I studied it in school. 
until they somehow censor that too. And I'm going to tell you, friends, we're in danger of that because there are certain things they don't want to teach us in school anymore, including college. Even real things that happen historically, they don't want to teach us anymore. General George Patton said during the Holocaust, take a picture of this and document it because someday somebody's going to say it never happened. Muslims are saying it never happened. Muslims are saying it never happened. Jimmy, did it happen? He was there. He was there. But see, this is what censorship does. When principalities, when governments want to teach you what they want you to believe, not what happened, not what is. Of course, that would never happen in the United States. You think what you want, but we have groups of people in the United States that are doing just that. Not going to get into politics today. Let me tell you something. The Roman historians Tertullian and Cyprian wrote extensively about the rampant practice, the acceptance, and the tolerance of homosexuality in the early church. And it wasn't only sexual sin, but it was likely the most compromised, and this is why Jude writes the epistle. There are many today who pervert the grace of God. Why? And the question, I guess I would say, is why would Christians do this? Why would Christians do this? Well, to excuse their disregard for the commands of God, which are found in the Word of God. Why would they do that? To justify their lifestyle, which is contrary to the principles of God, which are found in the Word of God. Why would they do that? To give themselves a free pass and or give a free pass to those that they love who live and believe contrary to the Word of God. Why would they do that? Because they want to believe what they want to believe. What? Don't believe me? This is my opinion. They want to believe what they want to believe to do what they want to do. We always have. They're likely going to say something like this. God's too loving. His grace is too wonderful to condemn us or other good people when we're so sincere. They say that all the time. They're going to say it. They're going to continue to say it. And Jesus has got something else for them, too. Away from me, evildoer. I never knew you. Listen there. Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. See, we want to take that off. We don't ever want to talk about that. Christ wouldn't do that. Yeah, he would. And he is. Isn't he? Or maybe they'll say something like this. But if they love each other, shouldn't they be allowed to be happy? Or something like this. They're too young to keep that child. Their whole life is ahead of them. Their life's going to be ruined. And not only that, who's going to take care of that child? It'd be better if it was dead. Come on now. That's the, that's the argument. That's the argument I hear all the time. It's economics. It's on economics now. We've cheapened human life to the point that it's economics. Really? And I tell people, you vote for any party or politician that believes in that, shame on you. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Can I make that call? The Bible does. Come on. Yeah, you can be, you can be mad at me all day. I'm telling the truth. Hate me for loving you. You've heard that before, haven't you, kids? My kids have. 
<laughs> You're, you, you guys have to. <laughs> Friends, listen to me. This is, this is serious stuff here. It's a lot more than that. You, you can use those two things. There's more. We'll make every excuse there is with human wisdom. We'll even consider it to be way more relevant than God's outdated commands and principles. Tell me this isn't happening. You can't. It's happening within the church. Within the church, it's happening. Listen, I'm not, I'm not being legalistic. I'm telling you the truth. I'm watching it. But the Bible says that those who contend earnestly for the faith will be ever mindful of what the grace of God truly teaches. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Timothy 2, 11 to 12. This is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. And exactly what is Paul saying? Well, if we're really a Christian, we'll contend earnestly for the faith, which means we will stand against these things within the church. We will stand against these things within the church, and not just in this one, but the one down the street and across town and across the world, too. When other Christians say, I'm a Christian, and they believe in this stuff, they teach this stuff, and it's heresy, you have a responsibility and a command to contend for it right there, right now. No, that's not true. That's not what it says. And let me show you where. You have a responsibility. It's not just up to your pastor to do it. It's for you to do it. And let me tell you something. Every one of you is having this happen to you on a weekly basis. I guarantee it. I know it. I know it. We need to stand against these societal beliefs outside the church too. And if we will live by the word in its entirety, we will not compromise. We won't agree with these belief systems that have gone against it. And those that compromise it, water it down, cheapen it. And we'll do it no matter what society believes or thinks is relevant. That's what we'll do. So when you want to tell me that Hollywood and rock stars and professional athletes are determining for me what's relevant and what's not, or a generation of people that just started life, they're going to tell me what's relevant? I don't think so. Let me tell you what my God did for me and how he did it. Because I know I did it firsthand, and I'm not senile yet. The date might come, and in here yet. I used to tell my boys that too. You might beat me in wrestling one day, but it ain't here yet. It's getting close, I can tell you, but it ain't here yet. And, then, and while I have my scruples about me, and I know what Christ did for me, I will not be denied. Hmm? I won't. You know what else, friends? People will deny God's authority. Jude had to deal with those who deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He says it straight up there. Those who deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have a question for you. Who's your master? Who's your daddy? I'm serious. Who's your daddy? Because Jesus had something to say about that. He told them who their father was. and wasn't God. Who will God say is your master? It doesn't really matter what you think. Who does God say is your master? Remember what he said to the religious leaders who believed and claimed that God was their master? He said that Satan was their daddy. That's what he said. He's a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. That's your father. That's what he told him. And I begin to think, do you think that could happen here today? 
People who really believe that Christ is their master? Do you think that there are people in the church today that really think that Christ is their master, but their daddy is Satan? Do you think that? Hey, don't take my word for it. Don't. Let's look and see. Because the emphasis in this passage is on the term Lord. Okay? Follow me here. I'm going to teach you something. The emphasis is on the term Lord, which is used to describe God and the Christ, who is His Son. And the term Lord comes from the Greek word kurios. Kurios. Which is closely related to the, the Greek word kuros. Kurios and kuros. Two different words. But kuros means supreme in authority. And God, through Jude, uses kurios in this position as Lord. So this is what it means. These people were denying the authority rightly belonging to God and His Son. That's what Jude is saying. Today, we often face people denying the authority of God and His Christ. That's a fact. But how are they doing it? By their lack of respect for the Word of God, for one. How about that? They tell me it's irrelevant. That's lack of respect. When people say they're Christian but deny what's in it, that's lack of respect. You're not a Christian at all. Don't claim it. That's all I want to tell them. If you're going to live outwardly against what it says, then you're not a Christian at all. Now, I, can I make that call? Not for eternity, but God will. But I can sure judge the fruits, and it ain't there. Okay? That's, that's, that's a fact. You know what else they do? They set up their own standards of authority for what they believe or do. We're doing that all day because we're taught to do that. Satan's teaching us to do that. Our parents are teaching us to do that because our grandparents taught them to do it. That's truth. It doesn't matter how or why, they just have. You see, friends, we want to be our own authority. We always have wanted to be our own authority, and that, my friends, is satanic. It's satanic, it's satanic, it's satanic. When you want to be your own authority, that's satanic. You heard it said. But again, is it my opinion? No. It always has been. Let me tell you why. Because if we do this, we're following in the footsteps of Satan himself. If we do it, we got our cue from him, which is why Jesus said, he's your father. This is what he said. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Is it in the Bible? Yes. Isaiah 14. Is that my opinion? No. It's not. But it happened. But those who contend earnestly for the faith will be delivered. We will recognize the authority which belongs to Christ, according to Matthew 28 and Ephesians 1. We will recognize the authority delegated to His apostles, according to John 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Thessalonians 2, and Acts chapter 2. That's what we'll do. Clearly, friends, the need to contend earnestly for the faith is present, for just as there were people in Jude's day who denied the all-sufficiency of God's Word, perverted the doctrine of grace, and denied the authority of God and His Christ, so there are people in the church today as well as outside of it. So here's the question everybody wants to know. How do we do it? 
How do we contend earnestly for the faith? I'll close this way. The key is earnestly. Yeah, I know we're late. You can handle it. Now, I find this translation from the Greek most fascinating. And you know, friends, because Julie was all over my case about doing a series in Jude, I learned something. Thank you, Julie. I'd never done a sermon series in Jude before. This is my first. But it caused me to study in a way that I hadn't before, and that is a good thing. I find it fascinating. Listen, I understand why Jude uses the words that he does here. The light came on, and I missed it before. The word used by Jude, which is translated contend earnestly, there's one word for a phrase there, is actually the Greek expression epagonosomai. Epagonosomai. I'm not going to spell it. You guess. And it is closely related to the English word agony. Okay? Contend for the faith actually means agony in the English, which is why he uses it. So when we use the term in this manner, it's associated with strife in a vigorous and determined combat. We're going to contend for the faith in agony. Blood, sweat, and tears perhaps. We're going to have to sacrifice, is what he's saying. In fact, the present tense of the verb indicates that the Christian struggle is going to be a continuous one. It's not going to end. And even if the enemy backs off and takes a rest, we cannot. We've got to prepare for the next battle immediately. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how tired I am. We can't back off. We've got to be ready. Because the battle never ends. And Jude believed that the foundations of the Christian faith in the belief system were under attack. And he was right. He was right. Because it's happening right now. Nothing but vigorous counter-contention is going to be sufficient from here on out, friends. It wasn't then and it won't be now. Vigorous counter-contention. And Jude was dead serious about it. He also knew that people eventually get sick and tired of fighting and struggling. I know I do. I know you do. But the use of the expression is clear. The matter is serious. We are at war. And there isn't a one of us here today that can't see that this is true. There's a war against the foundations of Christianity and Christian principles, my friends. But the problem here is we've been taught our whole lives not to war. We've been told through our forefathers in the Christian faith, be meek and mild and don't make waves. Because if you're like that, you're not a Christian. Wrong answer. And you know who did that? Satan did that. That's exactly who did it. Which is why the church is in the mess it's in today. We won't stand for anything, which means we'll fall for everything. That's the truth. And we are. We're scared to death to stand up for what we know to be right, for we might offend somebody. Well, if offending them keeps them out of hell, I'm for it. Anybody? Now, come on. And guess what, friends? If you won't, you might join them. 
Uh, the Bible says that too. That's not my opinion. Is it in there? I didn't write it down, but it's in there. So we're at war, friends. We better start acting like we're at war too. The church is going to have to be militant because Christ was. Friends, this is a man who died for it. Don't tell me that wasn't a struggle. Don't tell me it wasn't a fight. It most certainly was. He died for you and me. Huh? Look what he endured before he got there, too. Come on now. Really? But somehow, we're not supposed to do that. I get sick when I hear that. When people tell me, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't carry a weapon when you preach. Guess again. Somebody comes in here with an assault rifle, first thing you're going to see is me, and I'm going to see them too. And if, it, and if I had to take them out to save you, I'm going to do it, even if it cost me my life. This church isn't going to be like the one down in South Carolina. Huh? And so other Christians tell me, well, I, I, I just, you know what? Get a life. You're telling me that that's... That, see, this is the mentality we have. This is the mentality we have. And Lucifer wants us to have that mentality that we're not supposed to do anything. He wins. He doesn't want you to contend for the faith. He doesn't want you to fight for that, but he sure wants the people outside of here to fight for his values. Sure does want that, doesn't he? And they don't care about your opinion. They claim tolerance, but they're not. They're not tolerant. Come on, do I need to say more about that? Listen to this. Paul describes the nature of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, 36, and again in Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you hear that? And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now, that doesn't sound to me like an apostle is trying to tell you, be meek and mild about it. He's not. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Hear that? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Does that sound like somebody that's telling you not to go to war? For our struggle is what? Not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Notice he said, this dark world, because that's who controls it, but we're going to think they're relevant, and they're going to think we're irrelevant. You see, see, see the flip-flop here? This world is dark, so why would we listen to it? Huh? I'm asking you. And you know what else? He's powerful in the heavenly realms too. You know how I know that? Because he took a third of the angels with him. That's how I know it. If he will challenge them in heaven, he will challenge us here on earth. Anybody? Anybody done business with him yet? Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Paul said this is not a time to be unprepared. We must arm ourselves. We must therefore contend with vigor, even to the point of agony, for the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. And so we must be earnest, but we must also use the weapons at our disposal. Listen carefully. 
Paul defines our weaponry in Ephesians 6, 13 to 18. We ought to be buckled with the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness in place. Our feet fitted with the shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of grace and peace. Oh, uh, no more complacency, by the way. We must hold the shield of faith. Never take off the helmet of salvation, some have, or put down the sword of the Spirit, which means, by the way, you can't take it off. Although some will tell you you can't. And the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. And we must be in constant prayer, he says, of every sort. So when people tell you, oh, you shouldn't pray for that, guess again. Pray for anything that you should pray for. All of it. Now, Notice that most of these things are for our own defense. Otherwise, we too can be lost in the struggle. We too are in danger of compromising or dismissing the truth of God. Let's stand with the authority and power of God using the weapons He has given us. And don't forget that the most important one is His truth, which is, again, the Word of God. Now, I was going to call the worship team up now, but I want them to listen without moving because they'll, they'll, they'll miss it. I'm going to call them up afterwards. So listen to this carefully because it's very important. Let me warn us that the call to contend earnestly for the faith is not a license to engage in battle in the way the world does. Did you hear what I said? It is, though, a call to vigorously contend with all the weapons at our disposal. And I dare say we probably haven't. We are not to go after people who disagree, nor those within the church that are misguided in their beliefs. We're not to go after them. However, we're not to ignore it either or take a blind eye to it or allow them to continue to believe it, neither. <laughs> right? There's a difference between going after them and not allowing them to believe it. You understand? Who does not understand? There's a difference. We are, though, however, to stand first and foremost with the Word of God, applied first to ourselves and then to others. Yes, isn't that what he says? But also with the Christ-like qualities that are mighty in God in order to win people over to the obedience of Christ. That's what he says, okay? It is a fact that many in the church are not obeying Christ as their Master and their Lord. That's a fact. And they're, and they're doing it by perverting His teaching, and setting themselves up as their own authority. I'm watching it again and again and again. Friends of mine, friends of mine, they won't attend here because they know I won't stand for it. So they go someplace else so they can. They've even told me that. I even had a person tell me that. <laughs> Yikes. And this, friends, makes it necessary for us to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all, handed down to the saints. Dear friends, whose side of this battle are you on? Whose side? Have you submitted to Him whom God has made both Lord and Christ? Have you? Are you spending time in the Word of God to know the truth? I mean, are you really? Are you? Does your life and belief system reflect that you understand and live the truth? Have you submitted to the authority of God and to the teaching of those appointed over you by God Himself? 
Listen to Luke in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 36 to 42. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not you might, you will. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Did you hear that? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Say it with me. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Which one? This one. This one. Whichever one there is. Is this one corrupt? Yes. Is it going to continue to be corrupt? Yes. As long as Satan's in control, which he is, this is a corrupt generation. Do I care if they think I'm irrelevant? I do not. Because I know what is relevant. It was relevant in my life, and I can tell you how. I got a testimony. Believe me. And so should every one of you. Every one of you should have one. That's not irrelevant. It's relevant to you. You were there. That's first person. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I would like to add 20,000, 100,000. Hmm? Could we? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they did. That's all they did. And guess what? It worked. Why would we think it wouldn't here in this corrupt generation? Why wouldn't that work? The fact is it would. And as our worship team comes, my friends, God is asking you something today. He's asking you. Now, I know we were lengthy today, but this is something we better get busy on, I'm telling you. Okay? This is something we better get busy. What is God telling you? Whose side are you on? How are you living? Do you think that when people speak like this, that they're just holy rollers or they're not tolerant of other things? Well, when tolerance means I compromise my faith, you're right, I'm not. And neither should you be. And when other people tell you that, well, you know, you're just a, you know, you're just crazy with that stuff. Yeah, and I know where I'm going because I'm saved. I'm in the loving arms of God. He will protect me. He will guide me. And in the end, he's going to rise and smile, reach out and say, well done, my good and faithful servant herein. Life's your reward. It's up to you.